I'm Satya Nelms and this is Our Mother's Gardens. On this show, we discuss the seeds our mother sowed in us, the ways we have grown, and how we learn to blossom. In this space, Black women that have learned to define success on their own terms share stories of their beginnings, healing, and thriving. Welcome and thank you for being a part of this community of mamas, grandmamas, aunties, sisters, cousins, daughters, and friends. Today, we are in the garden with Cole Arthur Riley. Cole is the spiritual teacher in residence with Cornell's Office of Spirituality and Meaning Making. She is the creator of Black Liturgies, a space for Black spiritual words of liberation, lament, rage, and rest, and a project of the Center for Dignity and Contemplation. Born and for the most part raised in Pittsburgh, Cole studied writing at the University of Pittsburgh. Her debut book, This Here Flesh, will be published by Penguin Random House in February of 2022. So to begin, what what does the word mother mean to you? What images does it conjure for you? What does the word feel like? What meaning does it hold for you? Hmm. To me, the word that comes to mind when I hear mother would be protector, Mm. Um, a kind of harbor, you know, a person of both rest, a person that you can kind of rest in, but also a person of formation, a person on which your formation depends. Mm. So when I hear that word, the image of the womb does come to mind. I know that's a complicated image for most of us, but Mm -hmm. um, I think of it as this protective kind of presence Mm -hmm. that that mothers have, or I would hope that they would have, Mm -hmm. and also this costly presence. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a a cost, I think, to parent. It's Mm -hmm. a cost to love first. to love those who don't always love you or understand what love even means yet. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I love that you that you brought that up, that you gave voice to that, the cost of, of mothering, the cost of loving in the way that it can feel motherhood requires. Um, is that how how did you come into that understanding of what it is to mother? Do you feel as though mm. you witnessed that cost? I would say so. Um, my father actually raised my sister and I from a very young age. Mm-hmm. Um, I was from the time I was about two months old. Um, my biological mom had three other children and and she couldn't take care of me um Mm. and I think it was now that I'm older and a little more emotionally mature Mm -hmm. I can understand um that decision a bit more I can have compassion on that decision a bit more um knowing you know it it is a it is a cost and I think it's easy to reduce mothers into these superhero Mm -hmm. um, 
kind of fantastical figures and remove some of their humanity along the way. Um, I, I always cringe a bit on Mother's Day at some of these cards that mm-hmm. I, I I just want to say, you know, yes, maybe, but also right. <laughs> there's humanity, <laughs> there's struggle, there's tension, there's a lot of, you know, lost dreams and mm-hmm. um, difficult decisions you have to make. And, and, and I think in hindsight, I know, I mean, I can still hold space for the sadness and the confusion of my child self mm-hmm. while also kind of understanding the the wisdom and mm-hmm. the the tension in my and frankly the hope in my mom's decision to um let my father raise us so mm-hmm. so anyways I, I don't mean to to rant on, but I, I think I was aware of that cost mm-hmm. from a very young age, um, and asking questions mm-hmm. about the cost, about in, in helpful ways and in hard ways. Mm-hmm. So, and thank you for sharing that. Having been raised by your father and having a complex, although so many of us, <laughs> maybe all of us have complex relationships with our mothers. Um, mm-hmm. What memories of being mothered do you have from your childhood? Yeah, I think, um, you know, maybe the reason it's um, been possible for me to forgive my mother to for me to have compassion on my mother is because I did have so much um beautiful tender feminine maternal energy in my life Mm -hmm. in my sister you know who is just two years older than me but Mm -hmm. you know has been a kind of constant in my life um but we also just moved a lot moved around a lot Mm -hmm. when I was young a lot of moving in transition there are times where we lived with my dad, times where we lived with my grandmother and my aunt Jenny. Mm-hmm. And so I would name them as maternal figures, as mother figures as well. Mm-hmm. My sister, my grandma, and my aunt Jenny. So I'll share a, a memory of me being mothered. It's probably not the first memory, um, mm-hmm. but I'll, I'll share a memory. And that, that would have to be when I was about four, I think. Um, when I was little, I had a childhood anxiety disorder called selective mutism, which, Mm. um, if anyone listening doesn't know, it essentially, um, renders you incapable or makes it very difficult for you to, to to speak or Mm. remain verbal around, um, people. Mm. Um, so Mm -hmm. apart from my dad and my sister and a few family members, I, just would not speak. Um, and I have this very vivid memory of me getting my hand stuck in a screen door. We were living in California at the time mm-hmm. and I got my hand stuck in the screen door. And I remember my dad and my aunt Jenny were in the liver, living room with a mm-hmm. few friends of theirs, people that I wouldn't normally speak around. I'll just say that. Mm-hmm. And I knew I needed to say something, but just wasn't able to get their attention. I was just like, 
pleading that someone would just turn to me and see Mm -hmm. and fix it and help me out of the screen door. Mm -hmm. And it was actually my sister, um, Tanasia, who, you know, found me. And you gotta think if I'm four, she's like six Mm -hmm. and she opens the screen door and takes me outside and, um, it's like, you have to, what are you doing? You know, you have to speak, you, you mm-hmm. have to speak. And um, it's just this really tender moment of my sister really seeing me mm-hmm. and understanding this, this tension in me. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually wrote about this somewhat recently, but my, she, she um, brought some freeze pops out and, you know, we're, we're sitting outside and, um, She's like, you need to scream. And on the mm-hmm. count of three, I remember she she made us scream together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and oh. it's like, was so silly. And, and, you know, at first I did it and then eventually I did. And it was just this beautiful moment. And also, you know, all of the adults in the house like ran outside <laughs> and were right. like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that was a, a really beautiful childlike um, mothering moment mm-hmm. of her trying, you know, I, I could sense a kind of desperation in her, like, please, mm-hmm. you, you know, this can't go on. Um, mm-hmm. You need to communicate when you're in pain and turning it into this kind of fun, playful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I love that. I love that memory. That's a beautiful memory. Yeah, yeah. I'm the oldest of three girls, so I have, and yeah, I did my best to mother <laughs> mother my siblings who were four and eight years younger than mm-hmm. me, and I have some tender memories like that, so yes, thank you. Um, so from this, you know, consortium of mothers, your sister your aunt Jenny, your grandma, what, what did they pour into you as a, as a child? What did you learn from them, either direct lessons or by observation? Hmm. I think I'll start with by observation. Um, mm the women in my family are just all storytellers. They know, they know how to tell a story. Mm -hmm. Um, And they understand the importance of that in terms of building intimacy and connection, even if they don't, you know, articulate, that's why they're doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, They know how to draw out stories. They know how to remember well. Mm -hmm. And so I think if I mirror any part of them, today it would be that it would be this kind of if I'm gathered with my friends or whoever I I like to talk about ideas but I'm much more interested and I think much more gifted at delving into stories and telling stories and and holding stories as opposed to just kind of vague thoughts and philosophical musings about different things and the mm-hmm. older I get the more I realize like no this is in you you're a storyteller so they both I mean my 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 sister my aunt Jenny my grandma they're all storytellers they also I mean this is what they communicated to us a communicated lesson would be 
um, beauty. I think <laughs> they, my sister and I still laugh at this, just about how they would hype us up and just make <laughs> us think we were the most beautiful people in the world. Oh, like they just, I mean, I, I, they would always, you know, we walk into a room and, you know, they would just murmur and play it up and, um, just kind of this delight in us and delight in our bodies in mm-hmm. a way that I think, um, I think they knew, I think they were offering that as a kind of resistance to the world around us, you know, which doesn't mm-hmm. love little black girl bodies well. And, mm-hmm. um, they knew we were navigating a lot of white spaces. And so I, I think that they, they knew what they were doing, but mm-hmm. Yeah, they always, always had something to say about how beautiful we are. Look at that skin shine. (laughs) We will look at these, my sister and I will look at these pictures of us now. And we're like, what in the, (laughs) some days I'm like, we, we could have looked raggedy as ever. And they still would have made a way to make us believe in our beauty and make us Mm. believe that we were, you know, just princesses. That's yeah. That's beautiful. Because, um, as you said, for little black girls in this country, you don't necessarily get that. So it's you know wonderful that they were intentional about doing that. You know, for you guys, mm-hmm. no matter how maybe well put together you might have been on any particular day, to still acknowledge that beauty is. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful thing to instill in you and your and your sister. So, again, reflecting on how you grew up, where was what you received from the mothers in your life aligned with what you in particular needed, and where? did you maybe feel as though you were missing or lacking something? Hmm. I think, well, I haven't mentioned her yet, but, you know, later on in my childhood, um, I gained a stepmother. Mm. um, And she's been you know, such a a healing presence in my life. And um, I think when I think of her and what she was able to offer me, it was a a tool for expression. You know, I mentioned that I wasn't um, incredibly uh, verbal as a child. Mm -hmm. And I think my father and my stepmother recognized this even after, um, you know, I... I don't want to say overcame selective mutism, but even after that was no longer the um, the biggest factor in my shyness. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I, I didn't have selective mutism, but I was still very shy. And mm-hmm. my stepmother was, I think, the first person who said, you know, maybe let's let's get her into dance. Mm-hmm. Um, and really let me guide that process but I don't think I would have had an imagination for myself as a dancer if she hadn't said it and mm. kind of just helped me cultivate these artistic pursuits these artistic ways to express myself whether it was writing or dance and she would be at 
every, she would take me to every dance class, be at every dance competition when I started to compete, um, take more shifts up at work Mm -hmm. so that she could pay for these, you know, ridiculous costumes. They cost, you know, insane amounts of money. Mm -hmm. And so I, I do think that I needed to be mothered in a way that helped me to express myself and and find nonverbal ways to articulate my needs and my fears and my loves and my joy. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was given to me um, Mm -hmm. for sure. At great cost to my, to my parents, but that was given to me. Mm -hmm. But I think what was absent was my connection to my biological mother and a feeling, uh, I guess, an understanding of where exactly I come from. Mm. You know, Mm. I I have very strong connections on my father's side of my family, but on my mother's side, it just, you know, most, most of the time felt like this hole, this kind of chasm Mm. and that I was unable to, to make my way through. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I, you know, especially in my teenage years, started to feel a sense of longing for that, a sense that maybe a part of me was missing and that I wasn't going to be able to understand myself without it, which I don't think is true, but that's at least how I felt, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that I lacked self-understanding. I didn't really know where I, where I came from. And so it felt like a lot of my, I don't know if this will tra- will make sense, but I felt like sometimes a lot of my personality, a lot of my, my black womanness was me pretending as opposed to me following this mm-hmm. model and my mm-hmm. birth mom, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And how, I guess, how has that journey progressed for you into adulthood? How have you come into your own and, you know, laid claim to yourself, I guess, in a way, despite, you know, that, despite having that disconnection between you and your biological mother? Mm. I think, you know... As I've gotten older, I've gotten to know my biological mom better. I mean, I, I would by no means, you know, say we're close, but I've I've been speaking to her mm-hmm. and kind of seeing fragments of myself in her have been really um, special. Mm-hmm. But I'll say what's maybe more than that, how I've learned to deal with it is to think, okay, if you don't completely understand your lineage on, on this side of your family um, and how that's, how that's in you, you know, mm-hmm. you can understand how the absence of that information has formed you. The absence of those mm-hmm. connections have formed you. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of, I don't know if, and kind of looking at it more from that perspective of, okay, um, who, who are you? Mm-hmm without that you know who are you without that and 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 that is a part of my formation as well it's not just a gaping hole it's not just an absence in me um it's formed me and and for better and for worse Mm -hmm. um and I also think I've 
just really gone deep into the stories that I do have access to. Mm-hmm. Um, the older I get, the more I just think, you know, no story is going to be wasted in this family. You know, mm-hmm. I've been um, interviewed at, before my grandma recently passed, actually. But mm-hmm. before she passed, I've been interviewing her for um about four months and just Mm -hmm. collecting stories, making sure I had details right and recording her. So I had the inflection of her voice and I did the same thing with my father and my stepmom. And so I found my role in our family to be kind of this collector of Mm -hmm. artifacts, a kind of um, historian for us. So that the things, like I said, the stories I do have access to, I want to make sure are preserved to the best of my capacity. Mm. Um, wow. I, I recently lost my grandmother as well. And, you know, I'm sorry, so sorry for your loss and, and know what, what that loss can feel like. And I also have these like recorded videos of her just talking and Mm -hmm. what you said about, you know, having, having her stories in her own voice with her own inflection. It's different than just remembering a story that they've told you. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's amazing to have access to her story in her own words, in her own voice. Um, yeah, yeah. It's so true. All of those, you know, the, the smirks and the shoulder shrugs and, Mm -hmm. you know, I I have some, you know, video recordings of her as well. And I just don't think I would be able to remember that. I mean, I want to be able to show those to my children if I have them someday and for them to kind of understand those pieces of her. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it sounds as though you have, in addition to being your family's collector and, you know, storyteller, you have from childhood spent a lot of time observing your family as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I Mm -hmm. wonder in those observations, how did you see the women, the mothers in your family caring for themselves and caring for one another? Mm. I, you know, sadly, I don't think I observed a lot of, of that. I don't think I saw the, the mothers in my family really taking care of themselves in the way that, um, they deserve to, the, the way they deserve to be taken care of. There was a lot of sacrifice, a lot of, I mean, I think of my stepmom and um, she's just the definition of a giver and mm-hmm. um, just gives and, g- and gives and gives and is just so disrupted on an occasion where we don't need anything from her and mm-hmm. we can just say, sit down, you know, it's like <laughs> something in her resists that. And um, there is sadly this kind of restlessness, um, this demand on a lot of the women in, in my family that I don't think we fully 
contended with, if I'm honest, contended with how we demand of the of the women in, in our family. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think I see if anyone was able to get it, mm-hmm. I think it would be my grandma. Mm-hmm. Um, by the end, she she started to really, I think, be- become a person of of stillness. Of I mean, mm-hmm. she was never frenetic, but mm-hmm. she would always sacrifice. You know, mm-hmm. she if there was a choice, she'd always sacrifice herself. You know, mm-hmm. and I think in her final kind of years mm-hmm. I, I saw less of that I saw more of her choosing herself choosing her writing she was a writer and all her life pushed that to the side to provide for her children because she knew that you know white the boy publishing world wouldn't take her words seriously and mm. um later on in life I think she started to give that more of the time and attention that she wished she could have when she was younger mm-hmm So not having seen a whole lot of or any of the women in your family caring for themselves, how have you, how do you care for yourself and how did you come to, into your practice of caring for yourself without that, you know, without that example? Mm-hmm. I think I came into the practices and habits that I have of of care and attunement to myself simply because I had to. I um, became very sick in my 20s mm-hmm. and um, went to, you know, easily 100 doctors and tests after tests and, um, yeah, just became chronically ill and mm-hmm. remain so to this day. And... I think I have more prominent limitations, limitations that I probably always should have had and been um, aware of. And yeah. But now my body demands it. My body won't let me do certain things. And yeah. so, you know, sadly, that's how a lot of my habits around rest and care came because yeah. it was survival. It's if you're, you can keep going and keep doing what you're doing or you can survive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I'm hopeful that, you know, as, as years pass, it will become less and less that and more and more, you know, you deserve this, you're worthy of rest, you're mm-hmm. worthy of, you know, pausing and, and paying attention to your breath and um, things like that. But initially, I think it was it was wholly survival and hopefully is moving towards something greater and, you know, truer. Do you do you identify as offering mothering to anyone in your community? Yes. Um, I mean, I so I recently was mothering a child for a few months, about three months, mm-hmm. whose mother is unable to care for him. Mm-hmm. And um, he's no longer staying with us. But mm-hmm. I think those three months really opened up a part of myself that 
I really, I, I hadn't really explored before. I've never been someone that readily offers, you know, advice or, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. or who kind of has that power when they walk into the room where people are, you know, looking to them. Mm-hmm. I, I've never been that person and have never really let myself be that person who's like, no, I actually do have ad- advice to offer. I do have wisdom and, and care to offer. Um, and so, you know, him being with us these past three months, I learned so much about myself, so much about my past. I thought, you know, I, I ordered all of these books. I mean, at least 10 books, about, you know, parenting children who have endured early childhood trauma, mm-hmm. thinking I was reading it for this child's benefit. And the more I read, the more I just saw myself on the page mm-hmm. and realized there are so many places in me that um, I've thought I've addressed adequately, but I've addressed them adequately in terms of the past, not in terms of how they play into and inform my present and mm-hmm. will form my future. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I even when kids or a child is having a tantrum or something like that, mm-hmm. that's something I've always watched from the outside looking in. And now I can say, like, there's so many dynamics at play in those moments where mm-hmm. a child is in distress. Mm-hmm. And you think it's strictly about a parent parenting the child, but a parent has to parent themselves and say, what is this triggering in me? You know, mm. what, why am I disrupted inside? Why am I, you know, no longer stabilized inside? What about this moment is making me feel insecure, or unheard or unsafe? Mm-hmm. Um, and I never thought, you know, a child's tantrum would take me to those places, but it, they absolutely did. Mm. I... I want to go back to something you just said I about when you are observing, you know, when you are observing an interaction between a parent and a child, it's more than just the way that the parent is parenting the child, but it's also about how the parent is parenting themselves and how they were parented. Um mm-hmm. And that recognition that there is a whole lineage in a way that you are observing when you see that interaction between a parent and their child. Um, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess from the experience you had, how do you stay present, I guess, in that awareness Um, as you're making decisions or doing your best to guide this this child, how do you remain present in knowing that you are also moving through your own parenting? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the, and I I don't want to suggest I've, I, you know, accomplished this in the three months of my mothering experience, but I think I really learned to, um, to slow down, I learned the power of silence mm-hmm. and waiting, you know, just there's this kind of, you feel this sense of urgency, I think, in disciplining a child or 
um, bringing a child out of an emotionally dysregulated state. You feel this sense of urgency, which I think is valid. Mm-hmm. But I learned just the the power of of pausing for 10 seconds and thinking, where are you going in your mind? Like, where is this taking you? What insecurities is this bringing out in you? Mm-hmm. You know, for me, as a child who struggled with communication, of course, if a child isn't responding to my voice, isn't listening to me, I become immediately insecure and, you know, start shrinking and, you know, doing clamoring for any semblance of, you know, understanding Mm -hmm. when really children have are are not capable, their little brains are not capable of a lot of comprehension when they're emotionally dysregulated. It's Mm -hmm. not the time to get them to comprehend something. So anyways, I've learned to kind of take a moment, figure out where is this taking taking me in my story and mm-hmm. then recentering the 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 moment if you mm. to talk about presence recentering the moment and to do that i think we really have to take children seriously mm-hmm. um and i can say i have a lot of doubts about how well we do this as adults in society i, I think we're not prone we're not trained to take children seriously to take um their opinions and their anger Mm. seriously to take their sadness seriously and I think I've really had to learn to do that um Mm. to figure out what is in me what is it in me that dismisses something in a child that I would never dismiss in my adult neighbor you know Mm -hmm. um Right. And to believe, to, to believe in their humanity as much as my own, mm. you know, to believe they're just as much human as me, little humans, but just <laughs> as much human as right. me. And um, yeah, anyways, I, I don't know if this is, I, I can just speak for myself that mm-hmm. I can easily diminish a child to a character or um, not as emotionally robust or emotionally complicated as they actually are. And I regret that. And I'm, I'm going to try to resist that moving forward as much as I can. Mm. And do you find that through the experience of mothering that it has somewhat of a circular effect where by being more mindful and noticing these things while mothering, that you are also more mindful of the way that you treat yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The way that I treat myself um, and the way that I, even to the way that I treat other people, I think, and trying to understand and take seriously the stresses of a child, mm-hmm. I've learned to, you know, go back to my four-year-old, five-year-old self and with the knowledge that I have and put myself in that body and offer compassion, you know, as much compassion as I can. Mm -hmm. And then when I, you know, lash out at at my partner, Mm -hmm. I'm now thinking, if I'm honest, I'm, I'm now thinking in a different way. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, what is it about this moment that's, you know, making you, making it so hard to emotionally regulate Mm -hmm. and what would you say like you've said this I don't I don't know exactly how to explain this but it's like early in the day you're gonna you sit with a child and you try to get them to emotionally regulate and then Mm -hmm. that night you have a fight with your partner Mm -hmm. it becomes a lot um 
easier to hear the sound of your own voice, you know, <laughs> telling you to, to calm, to breathe, you know, mm-hmm. do, do you need to, do you need to take a break? Is this helpful? Or the same things that I would ask of, of this child I found myself asking of me. Um, Thank you for listening to this episode of Our Mother's Gardens. If you want to support the show, you can make a sustaining donation on Patreon by visiting our page, Our Mother's Gardens. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review. You can also find us on Instagram at Our Mother's Gardens PC. Our Mother's Gardens is a Honey Bunch of Stinkweed production. The podcast features music produced by Bata. 